When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back from the bye week, y'all, as the Cowboys are surging. They're the talk of the NFL, but they're headed to Minnesota this weekend to take on the Bullhorn Vikings on Sunday Night Football. Will Dak play? Can this defense continue their hot streak? We'll talk about that on this episode of About Them Cowboys. So welcome in. I'm Kent, letting you know that this episode's presented by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand Learn more at directtv.com. We've got the best of the best when it comes to covering all things Dallas Cowboys. We've got all three of them back this week. Your star's beat writer, Saad Youssef, is back covering the Cowboys with us. We've got from sports and such, set your DVRs accordingly, and the Eagle, Kevin KT Turner, and as always, from the Athletic, Father John Mishota. Welcome back from the Bye Boys. Take it away, KT. Thank you very much, Kent. Um, I am... uh... Really excited about this game. A little Sunday night Halloween action at a very cool stadium in Minnesota. I think we're in for a fun little week. Now, uh, John, we'll start with you, obviously, and and just start start at the top of Mount Everest here. We got to talk about Dak first, and then we'll kind of uh, get into Lyle Collins and maybe someone else, you know. But uh, what are you thinking so far as we're recording this Tuesday night? Uh, feeling pretty good about Dak playing on Sunday night? Yeah, for sure. I think the only way he wouldn't is if he was to suffer some type of a setback during practice. But yeah, seeing him on Monday without the walking boot on seemed to be in good spirits. And, you know, kind of for me, goes back to right after the game, uh, just kind of how he was joking around about even having the walking boot on to begin with. I think it was more of a precaution than anything else. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting for as much as Jerry and Steven have been asked about it on the radio the last, you know, week and a half. I thought it was interesting this morning. Uh, that Jerry mentioned that he actually had more concern over the shoulder strain in training camp than he even does about this. So that's a good sign because that shoulder strain thing, like we've said on here many a times, that wouldn't have prevented him from playing in any games. It just they had the preseason time. Let's rest him for two weeks and not have him throw. But something like this, you know, it's there. And obviously he'll be rehabbing it. And he should be fine uh, for Minnesota. But it's just the, you know, it's something you're going to have to keep an eye on because – it could be something that could flare up or it could become worse if, you know, let's say he plants and, and does a similar type of throw. So uh, I think he'll be limited in practice this week, but I don't think there should be any concern about him playing against Minnesota. Yeah. And I think like he kind of had a good feeling uh, once you saw like Dak at the stars game the other night, uh, kind of celebrating a big stars win and kind of give you a pretty good feeling. Um, I would like to go to Lyle Collins uh, as well. Uh, we're just going to pump him right in at right tackle. I think that's what you absolutely should do. Uh, but we shouldn't see any uh, – they're not going to like be slow about working him in, are they? I don't see why that would happen. Uh, if if they do, that's 
more about Lyle Collins than anything else that yeah. he wasn't in shape or he came back and he wasn't ready to go. Um, but for a guy that, you know, obviously feels like he was done wrong by the NFL, seems like that'd be a lot of motivation to be, you know, in tip top shape when you come back. And so I don't, I don't envision that being an issue. So I would think, yeah, he gets right back into the starting lineup and away they go. I just don't think the Cowboys want to say that publicly, you know, because one, Terrence Steele has played well. And why with this young guy who certainly seems now like he's a part of their future, why would you want to just step in there and say like, yeah, no, Lyle gets the this, this starting job back right away. That's just how it's going to be. I think that they want to see Lyle practice this week and, and see what he looks like and make sure everything is, you know, checks out and that he's in good shape and ready to roll. Um, but yeah, I'd be very surprised if on the <laughs> opening offensive snap in Minnesota Sunday night, if Terrence Steele was at, at right tackle, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, and I think with with that situation, it's at least beneficial to the Cowboys the way Terrence Steele has played because, like John said, I think Lyle Collins starts the game. But if there's any if there's any kind of you know rust or anything like that, especially given Dak's injury, you you want to make sure that he's protected. The the Cowboys do have a decent option. It's not like Lyle Collins is ever not going to be your starting right tackle. But if you need to ease him in, at least with the way Terrence Steele has played, it gives them some flexibility to to work in Terrence Steele if necessary. But um, Lyle Collins, I mean, you know, he, he's a guy that should have made the Pro Bowl last year, uh, he, you know, or two years ago. And he's – so I think he's he's going to be in there. But at the same time, you know, it's it's really funny to see just, uh, you know, the, the shift in perception that we've had with Terrence Steele. You, you couldn't – that name was Chaz Green-ish um, – last year and now it's uh there's a lot more comfort with that it's it's funny you said because in an article i put up today in the comment section because in the article i i I stated that if Dak was to miss like a game or two yeah there's a possibility cooper rush could come in and win a game or two Uh, i don't think it's likely but you know it's a possibility or whatever and someone said in the comments like yeah that's not gonna that would never happen or whatever and i responded Oh, there's a better chance of that happening than you rewinding back to week one, telling me Lyle Collins is going to be suspended for five games. Terrence Steele is going to not only start that first game, he's going to start all five. Stick with me here. And when those five are over, there are going to be people talking about, should Lyle Collins get his job back? That's far unlikely than than Cooper Rush getting in the game and uh, being able to win a game against a, a lesser opponent, like a Denver or something. I'm not even going to go down the road because I think I've probably said it before, but I just felt like Terrence Steele was wronged by so many Cowboys fans last year. Uh, look, you want better play out of him, obviously, but he had no business playing in games. I've said that a million times. I said I wasn't going to go down the road, and I started walking on the road. Let's get off the road. Here's it's also my question. The, it's also professional football, and if you're out there, sure. you're going to be criticized. That's just the way it is. It's this in high, as in high school. It's not even college. Like So yeah. that's what's going to happen. And so – Props to him, though, for the, because for a lot of people, that would crush them, and that could have impact the way they are as a player. And, I mean, you see it with these young quarterbacks all the time. You, It's very clear that these these coaches coach these guys to, like, hey, let's not ruin this guy before it gets going. And certainly things that had happened to Terrence Steele last year could have ruined him, but it appears that he used that as motivation to get even better. Uh, now, does he play – this, a, this might seem like a weird question, but it seemed like they were last year they were very um, hesitant to maybe like let him play left tackle. Uh, a knock on wood warning I would like to issue here: if Tyron were to be banged up or something and had to miss time during a game, 
Does Terrence still immediately slide over, or do they go straight to Ty Naseki at left tackle? Well, that's that's an interesting question because I think if it was for one game, I think that they would probably they'd probably go into that week with a committee type thing where Ty would get some snaps in, in practice and Terrence would as well. Um, but Joe Philbin would prefer to keep uh, Terrence Steele at right tackle. He made that pretty clear the other day when we got a chance to talk to Joe Philbin. Um, he believes that Terrence could play left if needed, but where the majority of his work has been has been at right tackle, and they would prefer to kind of keep that, he said, as his quote-unquote home. And so I think in a short term, it would be kind of a combo thing during the week. Let's maybe start out Ty because he's a veteran at left tackle. Uh, depending on the matchup, you know, who knows there. But if it was something where they were like, Tyron's going to be out for like four to six games, he's going to IR, I think then you'd see Lyle Collins go to left tackle and then Terrence start at right. I think that's what would ultimately happen. If, obviously, Lyle Collins comes back and everything's good to go. Again, since he's been lifted from, the suspension's been lifted, we have not been able to see him practice uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, when this uh, episode airs. That will be the first practice we'll actually get to see Lyle, Lyle Collins at. So when does Tristan Hill uh, get back in the mix? I feel like that's the name we gloss over sometimes. Are we uh, pretty close to seeing him back uh, and ready to practice? Yeah, a couple more weeks, I think. I mean, he'll, he's going to do some stuff in practice this week. I just I doubt that they throw him out there against Minnesota, but maybe it's the following week. I feel like it's almost the same window now for him and Michael Gallup where they've taken them and put them into that three-week, I believe it is, window of – uh, where they can practice and then return. And so they must believe they're close or they wouldn't do that. And so Michael Gallup, obviously, with the calf injury, uh, we kind of figured that it would be coming up pretty soon. But it sounds like Tristan Hill, Michael Gallup will start doing individual stuff this week. And then maybe next week is when they uh, get you know kind of worked in. But this has been a interesting one with Tristan Hill because I feel like we've had pretty consistent timelines, whether it be Michael Gallup, Neville Gallimore, Demarcus Lawrence. Tristan Hill has been a wild card. So to find out the other day that he was getting – moved into where he would be practicing, getting moved off of the pup. I found that interesting because we just, I mean, I've seen him at practice, but he hasn't, when you're on pup, you're technically not allowed to be doing the drills with the rest of the team. It just, there's certain parameters, but I've seen him at practice working off to the side and things like that. So I knew that he could be coming back at some time. But if you would ask me this last week, I would have said, maybe he comes back in two weeks, maybe he comes back in a month and a half. So for them to move him off of that list shows you that they believe that he's got a chance to come back uh, in the next week or two. Sod, I want to go to you on this one, and I want to go back to Dak for a second. Given how uh, bad the division is and, and that you've gained this big division lead, let's say Dak is a little under 100%. Would you, as the decision maker, consider not just kind of holding him out because you've built, built up a cushion? Or are we uh, are we all moving forward and we're going to go try to get this number one seed? What's your, what's your attitude there if you were in charge? I think I, I think personally I would I would change the game plan I wouldn't change the personnel um, I, I think you know you can still put Dak in there and maybe ride Zeke a little heavier ride Tony Pollard and you know do something like that for a game maybe even change up the way that you you have the pass game make it quick passes screens things like that you have a lot of receivers you have the personnel that you have you have uh, Dalton Schultz has become one of the best. Uh, has become not one of the best, but he's been a really good quarterback blanket. So I think I would change the game plan. I don't know that I would pull Dak though. Like I, I don't think that I don't think that if I don't have to in regular season games, whether it's the Vikings, Broncos, Falcons, I think that's the next three games. You know, even even for those games, I'm not really doing that. Um, 
but I remember, you know, back in the day, Tom Brady would always have a perpetual right shoulder injury, like back in the mid-2000s. And there were times where, you know, those Patriots teams, they would ride Corey Dillon in the run game and things like that. So I think that's what I would do. I wouldn't necessarily pull Dak, though, and, and put in Cooper Rush. That is a great question, KT, though, because I feel like if it was anybody else, any other starter, I don't care, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, Micah, Trayvon, it would be so easy for me to say, eh, give him another week or two. But Dak is just, Dak's the most important player on the field, and he's the most important player in that locker room. And I don't think that you want to do anything to take that away, especially when you're on a five-game winning streak. And so while none of us are have a medical background, the only thing I can say is that if I'm in that room with Jerry and Steven, I'm just very thankful that I have an extremely veteran medical staff led by Jim Maurer and Britt Brown that they can shoot me straight on this. Like, what are the chances that he aggravates this? Is there something we can do to make sure that, like Saad said, that we can change the game plan or do something? Because we want to exhaust any possibility for him to be out there as long as he cannot worsen this. I don't even care if it means you know, doing some type of protection on the leg that makes him a lot less mobile. If there's anything that we can do to make sure he's out there, let's do that. Unless this is one of those things where you're like, no, we got to sit him because this could get worse and let's try and rest this for what, you know, for the next couple of weeks. But that is such a, that is such a difficult question that I, I would let it solely rest on the medical staff because of not only their experience, but just the fact that, you know, they've been around Dak throughout all of this entire process. They're going to know better than any coach or any owner, or any front office member. It's kind of crazy too, because you're in such a good position and you know that your, your schedule, not that, not that I don't think NFL teams look at it as, or at least they don't talk about it at all, but your schedule is not the most difficult uh, moving forward. Um, and you've built up such a cushion. I would be tempted to just say, you know what, let's just uh, see if we can go win this thing, get some snaps and, We'll get ready in November, and but but they got a good mojo going, as uh, McCarthy would say on Hard Knocks. So <laughs> I don't know. There's something about the idea. That, one thing that's interesting is this team showing an ability to win games where Dak is throwing the ball 25 times and they're running the ball 35 to 40 times, and they've won a few games like that. And I didn't necessarily think they'd win a lot of games that way, um, but that's kind of something that we've kind of seen here. And that's uh, something that you would like to see. It's a big, a pretty good Minnesota pass rush. We'll talk about Minnesota in a second. One last thing I'd like to talk about before we dive into Viking stuff. Uh, Bob put up a, a good piece. And I know, John, you've talked about this before. But Bob put up a, a big piece in The Athletic today as well about Kellen. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say the Cowboys' offensive struggles in the red zone. But, you know, he kind of takes it back to a three-year look. Um, since Kellen's been calling plays. And everything's good statistically, offensively, until you get to red zone percentage. Is there anything that you have clearly seen that you make of that, or are we still in small sample size, uh, or in the small sample size phase when we, when we kind of talk about the Cowboys being towards the bottom of the league and scoring touchdowns once they get into the red zone? I don't think it's a small sample size, uh, just because there's been enough time with Dak and Kellen for you to have a decent sample size. Um, I think Bob pointed out some great things in there. Uh, you know, top of the list being that how important Des Bryant and Jason Witten were in the red zone, just because, you know, one, Des Bryant, just his athletic ability and, and what his greatest strengths were really fit perfectly for red zone offense. 
And then Jason Witten just being a technician down in the red zone and losing both those guys hurts. And then the other thing was in 2016, when they had success in the red zone, there was a lot of the read option stuff that worked really well. Well, you're not, you really don't want Dak doing that stuff. I mean, you just, that just, that doesn't make any sense, calf strain or not. So I think one of the issues there is, is that you just need better, you need a go-to receiver, somebody that you can count on to produce in the red zone. And maybe that's Dalton Schultz, maybe that's C.D. Lamb, maybe, you know, it, it just, it's an interesting thing to talk about because it's like the only thing that this offense isn't doing well right now, but it is one that kind of raises a red flag because that could be an issue if it doesn't get fixed. And Kellen Moore is very, he's, his eyes are very open to it. Let's put it that way. When he was asked about it uh, last week, you know, he, he was, he was very open that it's not anywhere near the standard where they they believe it needs to be. And so, uh, yeah, Bob did a great job with that piece. There's several different things he mentions there, uh, including, you know, maybe running too much in the red zone, leaning on that too much with Ezekiel at the offensive line. But I think you have to have a go-to player that you that Dak has a rapport with, that it's like, you know, that's the thing with like Dez and Witten. Like, even if a team would try and take one of those guys away, you'd still have to put the ball up to one of the other ones because you just trusted them so much in those situations. So Dak has to have trust in it. Maybe Michael Gallup coming back improves that and maybe some back shoulder fade type stuff. Maybe CD lamb having, you know, the playbook opened up. Maybe that eventually becomes uh, more of the area where he takes an, uh, his next step. Cause let's be honest, it fits perfect with them playing Minnesota. I mean, his, his catch last year against the Vikings is as good as you'll see in the NFL. So maybe that's, that's the next step in his progression. But I, I think it's more than just they're running bad plays. Like I think that there needs to be a go-to receiver or two that step up that become uh, just a bigger a bigger influence in in the red zone where it doesn't matter what the coverage is. We can run these these sets of plays and and one of these options is always going to be open. And I don't feel they have that right now. Yeah, and, and by the way, I think like when you talk about Dez and Witten, the other thing when you go back to that offense of like 2016, for example. Cole Beasley, you know, a slot receiver who can kind of like, you know, do his little option routes and things like that down down low. Cole Beasley was a, a, a was a you know matchup nightmare as well. And then, like you said, John, you know, Dez being a guy who you can throw up a fade to, and Jason Witten with the Y option being a technician and everything. But I think I think what Kellen kind of has to do is, you know, if you don't feel like you have that one player it's either you have players or you have philosophy. And the thing with Kellen is when you look at all the plays that he runs, it, it requires a lot of space sometimes and things like that. Just, you know, his creativity and stuff. And I think you kind of run out of space down there. And so I think some of it, you know, Kellen can probably do some looking in the mirror and kind of see like how you can take advantage of what you do have Amari's route running and Dalton Schultz being the big body that he is. But I don't think that, um, I don't think that it like there's nothing there. I, I just think they need to discover what it is, and I, and I think Michael Gallup coming back will be a huge help on that. Yeah, and and I look, I, Kellen's still a work in progress too, and I think sometimes we forget that because it's real easy to not only I don't know I wouldn't say create narratives, but be a part of a narrative of next big thing and offensive genius and all that stuff. Once that narrative takes off, sometimes narratives begin to spin out of control and it's not like Kellen cannot continue to get better at things. I think that's one thing we've talked about a lot on this show, uh, really even throughout the off season, the idea of Kellen getting better and Dak getting better at the same time can lead to a lot of things. 
And I do think it's interesting. How was like, the red zone? How was the red zone with, with the Packers when Mike McCarthy was there? Was there anything that they had that was a kind of a go-to? Obviously, when you have Aaron Rodgers, that helps. But I just feel like this isn't like. I guess the point I'm trying to get across, it's not like Kellen Moore is left by himself in a room with like Doug Nussmeyer and they're just banging their head against the wall. Like you don't think that like, again, because of the talent they have on offense and because they're good at like almost every other area on offense, you don't think like Mike McCarthy hasn't tried to put his two cents in on this. You don't think that, um, oh God, I always forget his name. The Giants coach. No, 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 no. That's a special assistant now. No, that's a special assistant with the team now. Oh my god, this is racking my brain. It's a special. Oh, McAdoo. Yeah, you don't think oh, that all McAdoo. these. Yeah, you don't think all these guys have been like pouring over this. Like, what are we missing here? We have all this talent. How come we're not? So that's why I'm wondering. Like, I mean, well, was it just Aaron Rodgers? You know, chucking it up you. to. <laughs> uh, in 2010, they were fourth. They won the Super Bowl that year. In 2011, they were third. In 2012, they were first in red zone scoring. This is where you buckle up for the very inconsistent Mike McCarthy roller coaster ride. In 2013, they were 26th. In 2014, they were, I'm pulling it up here, Dallas was second that year in 2014, which that's believable given that offense. They were 11th in 2014. In 2015, with McCarthy, they were um, 17th, you know, middle hey, of the pack. The, what, but, okay, but under 60%, when, and that's the number that you kind of right. locked in on. At 11, when they were 11th, what was the number? 55%. Okay, that's. I was, hoping, I was hoping it was going to be higher because I was going to say, basically, I'm not sitting here saying that, like, this offense needs to be top five. Like, just get to, like, above 60% and everything yeah. else, I think, will take care of itself. It's the fact that it's been, you look at it and you look at the players that they've had and you look at the franchise quarterback they have and you look at the numbers and you're just like, 50%? Under 50%? What? There's, it, yeah. This can't be. It's got to be better than this. In 2018, the year he was fired... McCarthy was, I mean, Green Bay was 62% and they were 14th in the league. You know, right, do you just they, have Green Bay up or do you have the league? I've got them all. Yeah. I've okay, got them all. What were the Cowboys in 2016? 2016, uh, they were fifth, 66%. Yeah, 66. That would be outstanding. And, and they certainly have the players on the team to get back to that level. But I think if they just get to 60, they're good to go. In, in 2017, they were seventh at 60%. In 2018, they were... No, no, go back. Down. Go back to 14. Okay, 14 was huge. Uh, twenty. They were second at 65%. Yeah. Yeah, 65 so, would be fantastic, but I don't think they have to absolutely get there. And, and again, Bob wrote this article in The Athletic, and, and, and John's article, he, he got into it a little bit as well. In 2019, the Cowboys were 16th at 57%. In 20, they were... Uh, 29th at 50%. Now, again, that's a lot of games without Dak Prescott. And currently, they sit at 24th at 56% when it comes to scoring touchdowns. It is interesting, though, at at home, they're 70%. So, you know, it's, a, it's one of those splits where you're like, man, in the home games, they're finishing off some of these drives. I think part of it, too, you know, Zeke's a little bit better. Um, At least looks a little bit better. I have a hard time judging Kellen on this on the 2020 season. When you're running out well, of the offensive think, line, I, well, and hold on. Let out. me just say this: I don't, don't know that you just blame Kellen Moore either, though. Yeah, Again, for sure. Going back to my earlier point, like yeah. this isn't high school, this isn't college. You're paid big dollars to to score in these areas, and there's a lot of talent. Because that's the thing against Kellen. Oh, well, of course, Kellen should be calling great plays. Look at all the talent he's got. 
okay, well, if you want to be critical of him in the red zone, why don't we look back at all the talent he's got? Like, there's got to be to a certain. This isn't. I guess that what I'm trying to say is, this this shouldn't have to be Boise State. Um, well, we're going to just come up with all these all these trick plays because we're going to try and upset some of these big dogs because we don't have the talent like that they do. And, and right. that happened on a lot of Saturdays. But for this team, there should be ways that they should be able to figure it out as players as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, just off the top of my head, two plays that come to mind is, you know, one is misfortune, like Dak on third down. What was that uh, two weeks ago or something where, you know, it looked like he got in, but it but it wasn't called – but it wasn't called a touchdown, and then he fumbled on the on the fourth and gold sneak. Right. But then also you go back to I think it was it was week one where I think it's a pretty pretty great play uh, where Jarwin whiffed on the block, like you know right. that that play as well. So I I think John, you're absolutely right. It comes down to the players as well because you know if Zeke, for example, gets in on that touchdown and Jarwin makes the block, you're kind of looking at that entire red zone sequence as a whole different story. And so I and I like those those plays you suggested, and that's great too. Um, and then, but then another one that stands out to me is the fake handoff to Zeke, where then Dak looks away and then he just throws it to a wide open to Zeke. Now, of course, that's a that's a great schemed up play. It worked to perfection. That's going to mm-hmm. score against anyone. I'm just trying to get across the point that I don't think you should expect every single red zone touchdown to have to look like that. Like there should be some bread and butter that you go to that other teams are just like. Yeah, man. I mean, that's just what's going to happen when you have C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Dak Prescott. Like, and you give Dak time in the pocket. Like, yeah. What are you going to do about that? And Dalton Schultz, and Cedric Wilson, and Michael Gallup, and Blake Jarwin. I mean, and Tony Pollard, and Ezekiel Elliott. Like, at some point, like the players have to execute too. Yeah, the, the, and the clear uh, jump ball guy or the back shoulder guy. It's kind of been Gallup at times, but it's not like by no means Gallup can do way more than that, and it's not by like. I wouldn't even say that's like Michael Gallup's specialty. I just think he might be better at that than maybe Cooper is at times. Well, let me ask you uh, this but, then. But it's all kind of comparable, but like, but the, it, that was the play, like you mentioned earlier, Dez, you know, um, Y option to Witten. Those are like things that are like standard trademarks and those types of things. And I'm not sure of the guys with their skill set, the guy who has that the most might be Cedric Wilson. Like, and that's that's the guy who might not always be on the field in those situations at those times. So it's, hold on, for you and Saad, I want to ask you this then. Let's fast forward until next April, and let's say that they're going to, that I can't tell you who the player is. I'm just telling you that Jerry's coming to you, and he says, we're here in the second or third round, and we're taking a wide receiver. And, and, and we're going to just say, hypothetically, Michael Gallup's gone because, let's be honest, they're not bringing back all three of these receivers. Like, they just don't, they're not going to be able to do that. If Michael Gallup's here next year, Amari's not. If Amari's here, Michael Gallup's not. So anyway, so with that in mind, he comes to you and is like, it's either going to be a great inside receiver or a big body that can go up and catch those, those, those type of fade balls and things like that. Which would you prefer? I'll take I'll take the big body guy because I think Amari with his route running I think CD with his versatility is able to able to slide inside that that's something we talked about a lot when Amari and CD dynamic when CD was drafted was who plays outside who plays inside I think you can do both and also I think the wild card is that I still don't know that Tony Pollard is isn't that guy who can slide into the slot and play those snaps as well so I think the big body receiver you know we we talk about something that you can't teach quote unquote. You can't teach big body, so I think I'll take the big body guy. Uh, just for the sake of having fun, I'll throw out two names because I agree with Saad for for the same reasons that Saad just threw out. 
but let's say it was you can have um uh let's see okay you can have Mike Williams of the Chargers or um uh, let's Jerry see. Rice no I'm kidding no not Jerry <laughs> uh well I'm trying to find like a good a good like comp for for a style of of player Cole Beasley? Right here. I don't want to say Beasley though. That's, that's the thing. I didn't want to use him. Oh, sorry. Okay, everybody, about, everybody about, erase okay. that. Uh, Chase Claypool. We see him as a. Oh, there a, you go. Uh, uh, or you know, Lavisca Chenault. You know, I, I, I'm probably going to go Claypool based absolutely. on what you have. Absolutely. Based on what you have, absolutely for that reason. So, hey, I felt like we covered some good stuff there, guys. But I could be wrong. That's up to the listener to decide. Y'all want to talk about the Vikings? Let's do it. Um. Let's start with with their guy uh, Kirk Cousins, who's uh, all, apparently a very talented singer. Uh, there's some videos of him singing "Pretty Woman" acapella style. If you want to go look those up on your own accord, honestly, what I've seen from the from the Vikings is that recent. They, they're in some close games. Uh, it's definitely there. Um, uh, they're in some. Uh, they've been in a lot of close games. They've had uh, you know their kickers come into play. Greg Joseph in some of these games. Um, I think Kirk Cousins, from what I've seen, is the same guy that he's kind of always been. I mean, that's a guy who is going to be knocking on the door of being a top 10 quarterback in the league. On any given day, he can go put up a performance with great numbers that's going to make you go, man, can he do that every week? And they have so many weapons, as we know, that can beat you from any point of the field. Thielen is a really good red zone target for them. Justin Jefferson is, you know, continues his ascension until one of the top wide receivers in football. And they've had KJ Osborne come on and really be solid as the number three wide receiver. You know, they're they're not wasting time with guys like Laquan Treadwell anymore and things like that. All that. And then you have Dalvin Cook as well, who's been banged up this year. Uh so we know what their offense is. I think the the thing that I, I think about with Minnesota is they are still kind of got a Jason Garrett type thing going with Gary Kubiak. And that's something that their fans will tell you is really annoying to them. They're very tired of the the Vikings playing a conservative style of football, but they are trying to stay balanced. And I think that's something, again, we saw what the, what the Patriots are going to try to do. We're going to try to establish long drives and things like that. That's what the Vikings are trying to do as well. And I don't know. I don't know what the, what the best way is to beat this Cowboys team right now because they've shown that they can get ahead of you and then they might give up plays. On defense, or and you have yards on defense and things like that, but they can get ahead of you and put you in positions where you have to pass, and you can't really get much of a run going on them and and things like that. And I think Cowboys get the same thing. It's a team that's going to try to be balanced. They're going to try to have long drives, keep the ball, because that's really what they do. They do not want to just start flinging it around. And I I know John, you and I have disagreed on this sometimes. I think that's the way you have to try to beat the Cowboys. Yeah, I think you have to try to beat them at their own game. Oh, no question, especially with Dalvin Cook. That's what you want. You want these long drives, keeps the Cowboys offense on the sideline. And the biggest thing if you're the Vikings is you try and get an early lead. You know, you want to get in a position where as much as you can sit there and say that the Cowboys can win whatever way they want, and I do think the Cowboys will win this game, but I think that with the pressure that the Vikings have been able to get, I know that they're near the top in the league in sacks. I think they have like 20 or 21 this season. I think that you want to get a lead and try and have your guys be able to pin their ears back and get some pressure on a quarterback that it does have a calf strain. And so the recipe to doing that is taking care, taking care of the football and being able to run it with Delvin Cook and having long drives, especially it being at home. I think that that makes 
perfect sense, and I do believe that'll be the recipe. Uh, now, that's always easier said than done, and the Cowboys will probably go in with a similar game plan. Like They probably don't want Minnesota's offense to be on the field. Uh, they're going to mix it up. And they probably would love to see Zeke go for a buck 40 and then leave this game with a 24-14 win. But I think it's a better chance that it's a higher scoring game and fantasy uh, football owners are going to be pretty thrilled with what they see from Thielen and Jefferson and CD and Amari. Like, I think it I think it gets in the upper 20s, 30s. Uh, you know, I think it's gonna be that type of game, even though both teams would probably like to avoid that. Yeah, I think, oh, by the way, also, I think it's kind of funny. We talk so much red zone, and when you think about red zone, like, if you th- when you think about red zone plays, that CD Lamb catch against the Vikings last year is probably one of the first ones that comes to mind um, for, for me. But I think uh, I, I think generally, you also look at Kirk Cousins. There, there was a lot of discussion throughout his career about just how much he struggles in prime time. And I think, you know, it being Sunday Night Football – I think that definitely helps the Cowboys. I don't always put too much stock into those kind of things, but that but there's definitely something there just because his record went under the bright lights is just not great. So um, I think and sad it's Halloween. Sorry, it is Halloween, so uh, things could get a little spooky. But I, I, I agree with John that I think that it's going to be more high scoring than people than people like to think uh, this game could be. Um, I just think that once you do get into that territory of high scoring. Other than Tampa Bay and Arizona, like who's really going to outshoot the Cowboys in that situation? Yeah, I, I personally think it's. I mean, Minnesota's a, a to me a notoriously difficult play, place to play, but that is a team who is reeling. Uh, basically, I mean, they had the bye week, but they're they're in a situation where they've got to kind of turn it on. They're three and three. Kind of feels like they're lost, like so many Cowboys teams have been over the last decade. Where they're just kind of okay. Are we going to keep the coach another year? Are we going to sign Kirk Cousins in the off season? Or are we rebuilding? Kellen Mond is a guy we drafted. I mean, it just feels like they're they're constantly trying to get their affairs in order while also having a roster that's capable of going and winning a lot of games because they do have a lot of talented pieces. So they're a very confusing team. There's a couple uh, things that I, I want to point out about them. Uh, you look now. At their first two losses of the year, a three-point loss to Cincinnati that they, quite frankly, would have won that game on the road in Cincinnati if Dalvin Cook didn't fumble in overtime. They win that game. Um, And that's a game where you look now at the AFC and, wait, who's at the top of the AFC? The Bengals? Uh, I know it sounds weird, but uh, the world's crazy. And then you have the undefeated Cardinals who they went and played on the road and lost by one point. So, I think we all know this. Again, the, the the Vikings have played in a lot of one-score games. Five, five of their six games have been one-score games. But this is definitely a dangerous game. Way more dangerous than playing Denver next week, playing Atlanta. You know, uh, I don't know if I'm willing to say that about Kansas City yet. I think it's a little early to start uh, doubting them, as ugly as they look right now. But that game's I, in Kansas City. I would never doubt in, that. Yeah, The game's in Kansas City, and they might be desperate at that point. So, there's a lot going on there, but this is definitely one of those dangerous games. Way more than it felt like. Even New England, which was a close game for a good portion of it, I definitely thought that game, you know, ended up being the, the way that game played out was way different than I thought it would play out. I, I kind of thought the Cowboys were just going to crush them, and maybe that's on me for thinking that about any game that happens at Gillette. Uh, 
But this is a you know a game that sticks out way more than playing the the Giants or the Eagles. I mean, this is this is trouble if if you uh you don't come out ready to go after the bye week. Or if you come out and Dak Prescott doesn't look like he's even close to 100% and he's extremely limited, uh, that would be an issue too. But yeah, I'm a big, even though I don't really bet on sports very much, I'm I'm big on like every, you know, Monday. I know almost all the spreads of every game because I'm just fascinated, college and pro, because uh, I think it's always a great like little test of where things could be. And I was surprised that this was, I think it's two and a half. Uh, I thought it would be a little bit more than that. I mean, it actually might even have come down. Let me look. I got the I got the updated odds right here. I think it was at two and a half. Yeah, it's two and a half. That's what it opened at, and that's what it currently currently is at right now. And so that tells me uh, that no, Vegas obviously isn't taking the Vikings light, lightly. And I think the other thing that's important to note, like you said, like Minnesota does have a good home field advantage. Like it's not going to be easy just to go up in there, like. Uh, especially a, a night game on Sunday night like that, and just assume that, you know, you're going to take that building over. Uh, you know, they've played pretty well up there. They've gotten some wins up there. But um, it, it, I don't think this is going to be some walk in the park. And I think we'll know very early with the game plan how limited Dak is, you know. Uh, because while I think he can win games from the pocket, I don't think there's any question about that. There's also no question that he's at his best when he's able to make those plays like that, like the pass to CeeDee Lamb to win the game against New England. I realize that it doesn't work like this, but there's also a thing, you know, you always want to play like you have a bye week. It'd be nice to play a team that's also not coming off their bye week. So you kind of have to deal with that. They're they're going to be fairly rested. But this is, again, as I was saying earlier, a team that's very much in flux with what their future is going to look at, look like. This is game one of a four-game run where they've got to go to Baltimore, to the Chargers, uh, and then they come back. And who do they have? Uh, who do they have uh, for their fourth game? It's someone tough. It's someone tough. I'm Wait, sorry. Which one are you talking about? Uh, the Vikings. Like this is this. They're going to be in desperation mode. Oh right no! Here. They're, the rest of their three schedule. The rest of their schedule is tough. Like they could go on and win only maybe three or four more games against like basically the Bears and the Lions. Yeah. yeah. After the they got Ravens, Chargers, Packers, and then they have San Francisco that doesn't look that great. You have the Lions, but then you go Steelers, and then they have Rams and Packers with a couple of. Bears game sprinkled in there. I mean, if things yeah. go south for them, they could end up with only another three, four more wins. I always find them to be a fun team to watch, though. I tell you what, every time I, I watch the the Vikings, you know, it feels like or when they're on national TV or whether it's on, uh, you know, Sunday on Red Zone or whatever, I just feel like, man, they're pretty fun to watch. I always feel like there's something missing and there's always a bit of tension. It always feels like Kirk Cousins is trying to kick someone's ass, whether it's a big win last or two weeks ago. And him and Zimmer are in each other's face, pushing each other. That always feels real tough. And then you flip it over their defensive line. Their defensive line, man, how about this reclamation project in Everson Griffin that they've got, who's actually playing like the old Everson Griffin. Um, you know, Daniel Hunter is really good. And it's going to be a very tough test. Like, if Lyle Collins is not ready to go, it will be evident pretty quickly because one thing they've been doing is been uh, getting pressure on the quarterback. So, this is not exactly a hand-picked defensive line that I would want to go play with Dak not at 100% either. So yeah. I've compared – oh, go ahead, Seth. Well, I just want to say I, I think the Patrick Peterson void is going to be a big one, though. Like, they just placed him on IR. I thought he was playing better um, as the season kind of went along, and I think that that also plays into just, you know, the whole uh, Dak's health thing because I do think that secondary could be a little vulnerable there. 
So I've compared the season several times to 2016, okay? Lose the season opener, win your next five games, and then you have your bye, okay? So after the bye that year, they had Sunday Night Football also, and this was against the Eagles, and that was the game when uh, uh, Cowboys won in overtime when uh, Dak found Witten in the end zone uh, for that game winner. And so uh, I, I don't remember what it was going in. Well, let's see. I got it right here. The Eagles were 4-2 and two going into that game, so obviously they weren't the Eagles that they are now. Um, Carson Wentz was obviously playing well as, as, as a rookie. Um, but, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember how I felt going into that game. I, I figured that game was going to be pretty close, and obviously it was. And I don't know. I kind of bring that up because it wouldn't surprise me if this is an overtime game too. Yeah, and a very, very possible. I, I think about some of the, the Tavon Austin game comes to mind from a few years ago. Um, which to me might have been a little overblown because I don't know that the Cowboys were going to run down. But you know, the only thing that strikes you about that game, inability to score in the red zone. Uh, that kind of comes to mind a little bit. There's a lot of stuff that um, that I think of. Another thing too, is the difference in these two teams a trade at safety? As the Cowboys are running out J. Ron Kirsch quite a bit, and he makes three plays a game that just really are big plays whether it's tackling a guy short of a first down marker coming in on a blitz. It feels like Jaron Curse makes three or four impact plays a game. Meanwhile, the Vikings have uh, Xavier Woods in their uh, defensive secondary, and they're kind of seeing if he could, uh, could, uh, could play uh, alongside uh, Harrison Smith. I think that's something to kind of watch as well. I, uh, it's a new day I feel for good Xavier about this Woods. game, though. I mean, I feel like once, it's, once the ball gets rolling, I just, I just feel like right now the Cowboys are – or as close to unstoppable as you can get. And I realized that it wasn't all smooth for that uh, New England game, but that was a weird game from the beginning. That that game kind of had a Halloween type of feel to it uh, late afternoon at Foxborough. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start out the pick section, and I'm going to tell you guys I'm going Cowboys 31, Vikings 17. Okay. Close. I'll go next. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I'll, I'll go with Cowboys 31, Vikings 21. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Not far off. Kent, you want to jump in here? Yeah, I'm just thinking about, you know, horrors of Dalvin Cook and, you know, the past few games. Uh, 2020, he had 160 yards, total yards and a touchdown. 2019, 183 yards uh, total on the, um, you know, combined and a touchdown. So if they can stop Dalvin Cook, I think they'll be pretty good and you know will i play too many cooks on the next episode we shall find out that is the question this it will be the third year in a row that we have to roll it out i hope not but we'll see Um, i'm gonna go dallas 15 minnesota 11 okay all right i think that's gonna happen um last time we went dallas four to nothing over new england so I nailed the yeah, spread. The old, the old Mike McCarthy goes for two and they convert. I like it. I'm going to go 30-27, Cowboys. Uh, and I'm going to say that that is in overtime. Cowboys Ooh. win on a field goal. Uh, what a Zerline homer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you said when you said the uh, – I can't remember what awesome power his reference you made earlier, but – I just thought about how if we were on the radio, that's where Kent would have Mojo. played. No, yeah, Mojo, that's right. Kent would have played the drop of I can't I can't even do it. How 
Mike McCarthy said Austin Powers' name. Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, that's Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Mike McCarthy. <laughs> About uh, Minnesota, though, Cowboys have had played in L.A. Right? Not that tough. I will say it's a it's a pretty tough home field advantage for the Vikings. Like they're going to bring it out. This is going to be one of the tough and tougher environments that they play in all season. So. Uh, well, yeah, just think about it from a fan perspective. How many, if you're a Cowboys fan, unless you're living up in Minnesota, how many are like, yeah, I saw the schedule came out. Maybe other Halloween, than Tampa Halloween, Bay, like their Halloween. Super Bowl night, this might be the toughest crowd you're, you're uh, oh, oh, Kansas, Kansas City. Kansas yeah. City. Kansas City. I don't know. Yeah. KC's fans are not even going to the games right now. So, um, oh, I did not think, I did not think that Tampa was going to even be in. I knew Cowboys fans are going to be out there. Uh, yeah, they won a Super Bowl and they have Tom Brady, but that still isn't a fan base. That's going to be strong enough to when, and when I say this, I'm talking about because it's Tom Brady, the greatest player of all time. And then it's also the fact of that. It's the opener for the entire NFL season. I can see where fans would be like, I'm getting that ticket. If I'm a Cowboys fan, if I'm a Cowboys fan and I'm looking at their entire schedule, I can't even, I don't, where 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 would you even rank? I'm I'm gonna go to Minneapolis on Halloween night. Who cares? This is it's the, the Kansas I would say City this is game, the toughest yeah. road game they have. Maybe Kansas City. If if KC starts winning again, they'll be hyped. Um, but maybe at Eagles the last week. I don't think it, uh, Eagles will be in it. I think Dallas will be resting Dak. So it's probably I know the toughest one. I know we've talked about this before on here, but I just have to repeat it after watching some of the game on Sunday. Okay. With how many Lions fans were at that Rams game? Trust me, if it's Cowboys Rams in the playoffs in LA, Cowboys home game, like it'll be on the same level that it would be if the Cowboys hosted at AT and T Stadium. Like the Rams and Chargers just have no home field advantage in that new stadium. It's it's yeah. kind of disrespectful, but I'm just saying, if you're a Cowboys fan, oh my, like they're gonna own that stadium. It makes no sense. Both those teams are pretty exciting, too. I yeah. Mean, I don't know why they don't. Oh, yeah. I guess they can't decide who to root for, maybe. But, I yeah. mean, if I was in L.A., I'd be really hyped on either the Chargers or Rams right now. But that's just me. Hey, Kent, you were at that game in Arizona. Don't you think Arizona, if they played at Arizona? Yeah. I, I don't think tough. it'll be. It'd be a lot of Cowboys fans. A lot right, of Cowboys there'll be a fans. Lot. I, I don't think it'll be on the L.A. level, but I do think there'll be a lot of Cowboys fans in Arizona if they have to play there. Yeah, well. Minnesota's honestly, I mean, you're right. Kansas City's one. I would say Seattle. Um, there's only a few stadiums where the Cowboys don't bring out like a very significant crowd, like where the home crowd really is the home crowd. And I would say Minnesota's is up there <laughs> in terms of, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just a sea of purple. It's just and, yeah, and, and Green Bay. Green Bay. Yeah, that's a good one. It'll be playoffs, but we'll see. New Orleans will be tough, but. I think a lot of Cowboys yeah. fans will show up for that. So I would say that'll be like like a 30%, 40% Cowboys fan uh, attendance given how New Orleans has been playing. So we'll see. What are you guys going to be for Thanksgiving? I mean, for Halloween. Be for Thanksgiving, a turkey. Sorry. <laughs> um, I've got a mustache going right now, so I might have to do a little Ted Lasso. Damn Maybe it, you stole thing. mine. <laughs> you got you to be... grow a stash. Uh, no, I can't. John, what about you, Saad? I'll probably just be Dave, like Jim Halpert. That's my uh, three-hole punch guy. Yep, three-hole three punch, punch guy. Yeah, will be an office <laughs> reference. I did. I did actually go. Like, I had to go to a Halloween party like two years ago in the before times, and uh, and I and every time I go, I just I just go as Dave. Like, I get that name tag and put it on my shirt, and that's it. So it's creative Ted, and it's easy. Ted Lasso, such a 
it's going to be such a popular costume because all you have to do is, even if you can't grow a mustache, you just get any fake mustache and just throw on a visor and some type of like, you know, light jacket or something. AFC Richmond t-shirt. Right. Yeah. That's that's how I spent my bye week. I I watched all 22 episodes. I hadn't seen it, so everyone's been hyping it up. And you're just crying alone because it's so emotional and good, right? No, actually, uh, I was going to say I compared it to Derek Carr. Um, I think it's real solid. I think it's good, but I've seen Patrick Mahomes's and I've seen Aaron Rodgers's. So like, I think it's cleaning up at a good time. Um, just think if there was no, if there was no Dak or Kyler Murray or Matthew Stafford or Tom Brady and Derek Carr was the best quarterback in the NFL, we wouldn't know any better. I mean, he's a good, he's a good, good quarterback. I just, I don't think it's like the greatest thing ever though. <laughs> Talk about bringing it back to sports. <laughs> Oh, it always, son, it always comes back it's to sports. John, yeah. <laughs> Everything comes back to sports. I know. I John, John, sports. Went, John went to Boston and took in a, took in a college football game uh, the night before he actually had to go cover a football game. Like, John. that is such a John Mashota thing. I was in Boston <laughs> at the same time, and I, and I saw that, and I was like, wow. that like I didn't even think about doing that, and I, it doesn't even surprise me that John did. That's a Christy Scales move right there. Christy Scales, <laughs> she'll hit up the, the old minor league uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, baseball yeah. game or whatever. You know, She's always taken in the, <laughs> the local sports culture. Um, speaking of stuff uh, that we've been to, John, I wanted to mention the Combine because you, you reported on Twitter earlier that the Cowboys are in the bidding for the Combine 2023. Yeah, so the league meetings are there are league meetings going on right now in New York City. Uh, Jerry Jones is there. Uh, that's why his typical radio interview, that's usually around eight thirty in the morning, was at seven a.m. this morning. Uh, he was knocking it out early. So, uh, yeah, that's that's some news that came out of there. Is that uh, there's going to be the combine next year will again be in Indianapolis, where it's been every year since nineteen eighty seven. But in twenty twenty three, it's the bidding comes. They're going to open up bidding, and it's. If if I didn't know what three locations were, I these would be the easiest three to guess because it's Indy, Dallas, and L.A. And so having been just in L.A. for that Chargers game, like the way that stadium is like right next to the NFL Network headquarters and every – I mean, the NFL has really put up sh- shop, like set up a base like right there in that part of Inglewood. That obviously makes a lot of sense. And then obviously you're going in February. Weather will be good. Uh Indy because just because it's been there every year since 87 and then Dallas because you can do all of it at the star. You have the hospitals there. You have the uh, practice fields. You have the indoor. Uh, you have the hotel. Um, I know Jerry would want to tie in AT&T Stadium somehow, some way, just because that's what he, o- he always wants to do. But when they finished everything at the star, that was one of the big talking points is that when it comes down to the point where they're going to be bidding for the combine. They certainly believe that they can host it just like they hosted the draft. Uh, and so uh, I think that the if they don't get it in 2023, I think that they'll get it somewhere in the near future. Obviously, Jerry Jones having a lot of pull in that. But if you were to say to me, well, wherever it goes next, is it going to be its permanent home like it was in Indy? Then I'd say it's going to L.A. There's just so many times I've been out in Indy in the last five, six years where that's just been the rumor. Like, you know, ultimately they'd love it to be in L.A. They'd love for it to be in L.A. Um, but... I don't know, Ken. I kind of uh, like Indy. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I I love Indy. I, I honestly wish it would never change. Um, but I, you know, there are limitations, I guess, to it being there for I don't know coverage aspects of things like that. I don't know why they would move it, um, but maybe there is limitations there. 
I would think I it's going like, to be I Dallas. would like New Orleans as well. I would think it's going to be at the Star or at and just keep it at Indy. Um, because yeah. I think the big advantage that the Star has, and yeah, LA's great. The big advantage that the Star has is the hospital. And right. being right there. I think 80% of the combine is medicals. And for you to yep. have that right there, I mean, literally attached to the <laughs> to the fields and they have their own fields there. They can do drills at the uh, hospital. You know, you can do some, some drills there. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest advantage. That's the biggest selling point. I think the Cowboys knew they didn't have that hospital. There's no chance that they were ever going to get the combine. So, and there's a lot of guys that train for the combine in the North Texas area. So, because I just know from, and I'm sure that you've had these experiences too, Kent, when we leave to fly into Indy, there's always like some coaches or some prospects that are almost always on the plane because they're whether that Michael Johnson performance or some of the other places around here. So uh, there's a lot of off-season training that goes on for current and current players, and then also guys for the draft. So you know, Dallas when you makes think a about the, the experience of the combine, is John, you know this. Yeah, ninety ninety percent of it is yeah the medicals, but the other ten percent is probably the talking between coaches and GMs and things like that. Right, like the star is perfectly Agents. set up for walking down to the bar and going and meeting like i i feel like that whole area will be packed at night i feel like they're, they're it's gonna be an easy sell for jerry to sell on on the star if anyone's been there it's set up perfectly for the combine it really and is. L- and, and la certainly would not be like that because there's nothing around the stadium uh, and there just isn't any there the field wouldn't be nowhere. like it's that kind of like the cowboy stadium is just yeah if you're there. if you're trying to get better weather but not in Indy. The, the only other spot I can think of would be New Orleans, you know, with being in walking distance mm. from the stadium and then obviously all the hotels and bars and restaurants and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I'm pretty confident that they're going to get it at the star eventually, whether it's not whether it's 2023 or in, in a year after that. I mean, Jerry Jones has built this amazing facility. He wants the combine. He's going to get the combine. KT, did you sleep on our floor one year at the combine? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I got a, that was probably <laughs> Jeff. I, I had a room the time I went. Okay. Yeah. I, remember. I think Jeff went twice and he's probably, yeah, he probably did that. <laughs> I remember um, that I remember one we year. laid couch cushions like on the ground because somebody no. didn't have a room or like, everything <laughs> was booked and somebody got there I mean, like a leg it was, ticket, it, like the last it week. It was Jeff for, it was Jeff for sure because I remember, so you guys, I think got in a this little was bit the one, earlier. This was the year that it, it snowed like 80 feet. It was, yeah. So, yeah. so I remember meeting up with you guys when you first got there and you telling me that that happened. <laughs> I was like, Jeff, the room I got Jeff was in like sandals too. He, he right. just, like, came in like a t-shirt and sandals it. and was like, I'm sleeping on the, <laughs> sleeping on the floor. <laughs> and so, so I was good. like, I was like, Jeff, I got two full-size beds in the room that I got. He's like, are you serious? So I oh, remember yeah. he ended up just staying with me because I was yeah, like right did, across yeah. the street at like whatever that hotel was, whatever there. I was like, yeah, you could have told me. Like, I don't know. I just, I didn't get any pick. That's just the room that they gave and we, me. And I remember you, we, we didn't find that out until we had like one night left. <laughs> yeah, he had like, and John's like, I I've had this bed this whole like, time. You've been why did you say something? <laughs> Sleeping on the floor with Broadus and Kent and Hellman and... Whoever else, in the, I'll never in, forget Broadus trucking it, through that snow like a yeti. I mean, you could just picture big old Broadus just like would refuse to take an Uber. Like was not sold on the concept of Uber. Me, <laughs> me and Helman and Jeff wearing, were like Ubering to the to the you know media center every day because it's like literally zero degrees. And Broadus is like, I don't trust it. I don't trust an app to take me anywhere. <laughs> so he's he's walking two miles, and like the last night we all go to dinner at uh, at San Elmo. And we Uber and Broadus gets the Uber, gets out, is like, wow, 
that's all you do? You just get in their car and they just take you there and you get out? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that was pretty awesome. And now he's like super into it. it was, <laughs> he's a big Uber guy now. Yeah. Oh, hey. Thinking I'm of that, invest. thinking of that, you know what else could host it would be Minneapolis. I mean, it would obviously be cold just yeah. like it is in Indy, but downtown Minneapolis is just like downtown Indy where it's all those breezeways in between all the hotels and the stadium and everything. So even though it's cold outside, you can kind of stay inside like you can in Good Indy. Point. But I think that again, Minneapolis is not getting it before Dallas. Even if it's freezing in Dallas, the hotel is connected to the, right. st- the actual stadium part. So you could... If you're a coach, yeah, it makes, you don't it ever makes have too to much sense. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Minneapolis is just too miserable at that time. Right. It's just ridiculous. Uh, I remember at the Super Bowl, we went outside one time. We were throwing a water bottle up. We threw water up in the air, and then the water turned to ice in midair. But that's and fun, isn't it? Trapped into trapped in a damn mall for a week. I think I got the Eagles sick, too. I got sick, and we were staying on the same floor as the Eagles for that Super Bowl. Had a lot of good talks with Garrett Blunt. Um, all right, so there it is. We've made our picks. We all picked the Cowboys to win. So uh, if they don't win, screw us. Um, we'll be back Sunday, uh, Sunday night, late, yeah, after the game. Um, John will be up in Minnesota covering that bad boy for us on Halloween, dressed as Tad Lasso. Yep. Um, I, I do have an idea for you if you want to be original. Uh, I don't know if you're a Saturday Night Live guy. Maybe put some ta- face tattoos on, some fake ones. Okay. And go as uh, Jost Malone. Wear a suit and then face tattoos. I don't hate it. You get it though, right? I do. I do. I don't. I don't hate that at all. I don't like a costume you have to run. explain though. Yeah, Ted like Lasso. If somebody has is to ask, so, "What are you?" You know, I don't know if that's that counts. Ted Lasso is just so reference. popular right now. Saturday Night yeah, Live right. is kind of waning. So don't book Ted Lasso though. You got to go deep cut. Maybe Roy Kent okay. or Coach Ooh, Beard like or that. something. Well, I am a jur- as- I am a journalist. Okay. I could go with go a wig as, and be the guy from The Independent. Take a lasso with you and put your hair into a gray ponytail and go as famous DFW radio engineer Ted Nichols Payne. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Ted. If anybody, who, all two people that would possibly even know that reference, that is hilarious. I will. That, that was is, good. That is great. Shout out Ted. Well, I feel- Ted, the Cowboys fans will know him. He's the guy who runs the sound at Mike McCarthy press conferences at training camp. Yeah. I just don't know that's, how often that's you really the guy we're talking him, about. Hey, they might know who that is. They've listened to yeah. this press conference. Hope so. You you shoot that shot about an hour into the show. Just the hardcore listeners. That's for you. Yeah, I like it. That's for you. All right, guys. We'll uh, talk to you on Sunday. Uh, if there's any major breaking news, of course, we'll be here for an emergency podcast or something like that. Keep following John as well as Bob Sturm with the Cowboys coverage throughout the week and saw it on that Stars beat. Uh, early in the year. Uh, Sod's got all that covered for you as well. Um, I'm KT for Father John Mishota, for Sod Yusuf and Kent Garrison. This has been another episode of About Them Cowboys. Austin Powers, 